1: You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. I'm Kelly Evans. Welcome to The Exchange, everybody. Markets are rallying on vaccine hopes, with the Dow almost hitting 30,000 for the first time. Will it be another reopening trade head fake like we saw last week? We'll ask with the Dow already well off its earlier highs. Plus real estate entrepreneur Don Peebles says the pandemic will cause permanent changes across retail and office space. And he doesn't expect a quick rebound in 2021. He'll join us. And a retail rebound today, a historic space launch, Zoom celebrates the holidays, and the banks take on PayPal. It's all coming up this hour. Let's start with the markets, though. Dom Chu has more on that. Dom.
2: Vaccine positivity means NASDAQ underperformance, and that trend continues today. Yes, we are green across the board for all three major indices. But as you can see here, the Nasdaq composite is only, and I say tongue in cheek slightly, only up about a half a percent. Meanwhile, the Dow Industrials more than doubling that amount, almost triple there. one and two thirds or one and one third percent gains there. And by the way, we're going to put a star up there because it is a record intraday high for the Dow Industrials on the trade so far today. Thematically speaking, because of the covid positivity around the vaccine, we have seen some of the uh, at least value industries play out pretty well. Norwegian Cruise Line, still two-thirds of its value lost so far this year to date. Live Nation only off 4.5% right now for live concert venues. And Expedia is actually up 16%. So you can see here some of the positivity in certain parts. Live Nation and Expedia. Meanwhile, the Cruise Lines and Airlines still have a long way to go to play catch-up in a COVID recovery. And if you're banking on an economic recovery, why don't we check out the banks? Yes, pun intended here. Zion's Corp on the regional bank side of things up 5.5%, an economic recovery story there. Synchrony Financial does a lot of lending to people buying things at stores on credit. Citigroup on the majors, Money Center Banks, up 3.5%, and American Express, a play on the consumer as well, up 3.5%. A very green day for the financials. Kelly, we'll see if that sticks around for that value trade. Back
3: over to you.
1: Yeah, those are some big moves. Uh, Dom, appreciate it. If we can hold these gains overall, the Dow's on pace for its first record close since February. Uh still the state home names are selling off once again, just like they did after last Monday's vaccine news from Pfizer. Zoom, Peloton, Teledoc, Shopify all lowered today. Uh Zoom down about 4%. So sell them while you can or will the market change its mind again tomorrow? Let's bring in Marco Popich. He's partner and chief strategist at Clocktower Group, and Phil Camporiali is managing director at JP Morgan Asset Management. Welcome to both of you. Um, Marco, let me start with you. We've got strategists kind of going in different directions. I think Jonathan Golub at Credit Suisse getting a little more cautious. Um, Mike Wilson at Morgan Stanley raising his price targets. What's justifiable to you here?
3: Well, I think that the combination of vaccine use and just general human desensitization, where we're seeing you know, Google mobility or uh, Fed mobility indices basically are showing less and less of an impact amongst the populace in terms of lockdowns. There's just this half-life of fear that's pretty short. I think the combination of those two are are pretty uh, evidently bullish for a lot of the uh, value plays, and that's being articulated in the markets today. But I do worry about two things. One, incoherence of fiscal policy going forward with gridlock in in Washington, D.C., and also Chinese policymakers starting to signal Uh, potential uh, turn to hawkishness in 2021, and that's something to watch and and worry about (laughs) for the long term. I I think the 10-year yield is telling you that it's still cautious in terms of the sort of reflation trade.
1: Marco, let me just follow up with you. I mean, each piece that you mentioned there is interesting, but when you say that there's you know, not as much of a reaction among the population uh, to the spread of COVID right now. I mean, we have seen it in the high frequency data, everything from TSA numbers to open table, JP Morgan's uh, chase card spending survey has turned over again. Are you saying that you just expect those to be muted declines, but they're certainly happening?
3: They're happening, but compared to, you know, February, March, uh, they're much l- a lower degree. And if you look at something like the Oxford University stringency index in terms of policies around the world, the increase in um, in different policies, in lockdowns, relative to what happened in March, in February, March, is just much, much more muted. And so I think the combination of vaccine and just the market is sniffing this desensitization that's playing out in the populace. I mean, I'm out here in Santa Monica. You couldn't have a more, you know, pro-science place in the world, <laughs> if I can put it that way. And, you know, the bars and restaurants are filled with people. So clearly, relative to what happened earlier yeah. this year, there's just desensitization kicking in.
1: All right, Phil, let me turn to you, bring you in, and and maybe you can give us your place. Marco just said he likes the value part of the market. Do you?
4: Yeah, Yeah, Kelly, this is an ideal environment to be overweight stocks. And when we say that, we're overweight about 10% uh, in our portfolio. So in a normal 60-40 type portfolio, we have about 70% equity. And Kelly, I think there's certainly a lot of optimism in the market. There's also a couple of things in the near term That are uncertain around the virus but here's the three things that are most important in the near term first is credit i mentioned the overweight to stocks but credit also makes sense things like high yield things like non-corporate credit securitized credit that all make sense in this environment in 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 a in a either a low growth or a really good outcome the second thing is the consumer the consumer is in awesome shape kelly you're talking about savings rates that are double where they were in November of 2019. So the consumer is setting up for a really exciting holiday season. If the summer was any indication, consumers are going to spend. Maybe they won't go on vacation or the cruise just yet, but they're going to spend on on, on holidays. And then the third things, and Marco was talking about desensitization, I think if you do see some sort of pullback in economic data in the fourth quarter, this is going to be the mother of all look-throughs to next year, where there is a light at the end of this tunnel, kelly. and And with all this money piled yeah. up on the sideline, trillion dollars in cash and money market funds, Kelly, this is an in- ideal environment to be overweight stocks as, as it, with this new global cycle. yeah, and let me
1: yeah, let me point out that you guys basically agree on a lot of things. you're both uh, let's call it bearish on the dollar. think we're the dollar's headed mm-hmm. lower, bullish on especially uh, emerging market equities. Phil, in a quick last word. What would your top yep. uh, pick be real quickly? We got to move on.
4: Yeah, so it's it's emerging market equity is, is a big view of ours, because if you want to be bullish the global cycle, EM is a great way to play it. And they seem to have their arms more around COVID, which looks like more normal economic data coming out of the emerging world right now, Kelly. Big play for us.
1: Okay, great. And Marco, come back. I want to talk to you about this China Uh, aspect in particular. Uh, It always feels like that's the issue. You know, we're going to get to, we're going to get to, we're going to get to. And and somehow, uh, still the news of the day takes us away. Guys, thank you. Phil Camporealli, Marco Papich joining me with their thoughts on the market as we flirt with Dow 30,000 today. But let's get to that news that is taking us there. It's from Moderna, the COVID vaccine, their candidate, 94.5% effective. And it doesn't have to be stored at temperatures as low as Pfizer's vaccine that we learned about last week. Could be an even bigger breakthrough as a result, of especially for rural hospitals or other places that lack specialized equipment. Moderna shares up about 9% right now, but they're up about 30% over the past week. Meg Terrell has the latest. Meg?
5: Hey, Kelly, well, expectations were very high for Moderna's vaccine coming into this week because Pfizer's vaccine showed 90% efficacy last week, or more than 90% efficacy when they reported their interim results on Monday, while Moderna's at 94.5% coming in and meeting that extremely high bar. Uh, so they had 95 infections uh, in this trial of 30,000 people, and 90 of those uh, cases uh, were in the placebo group. Uh, Now, Stefan Bonsal, the CEO of Moderna, also pointing out they had 11 cases of severe disease in that trial, and none of them were in people who were vaccinated, suggesting this can really protect not just against cases of the disease, but also severe disease. Here's what he said about that.
6: The data that excites me the most, Meg, of course, we are delighted that the vaccine has close to 95 percent efficacy. But as you said, what we all want is if somebody gets infected, that they don't get severe disease.
5: So Kelly, that could have tremendous potential for helping with the public health parts of this epidemic. But we also don't know a few things. One is, does the vaccine and Pfizer's as well Protect just against cases of COVID-19 or also infection with the virus completely, which has implications for transmission. We also don't know about either vaccine, how long the protection lasts. So those are things that are going to be figured out uh, over the coming weeks and months. Now, what happens from here? Well, both of these companies are readying their applications uh, with the FDA for emergency use authorization, and we should see that over the coming weeks. Um, Once those are in, the FDA will convene a panel of outside advisors um, to meet, um, to discuss Uh, Whether to approve these vaccines. Uh, If the FDA gives the green light, it'll then go to a group from the CDC, which will recommend prioritization. Um, After that, of course, the question is going to be availability. Uh, The U.S. saying that by year end, there should be enough for 20 million people. By the end of January, that will expand to all seniors and first responders. And then starting in April through June, the general population should be able to get access to these vaccines. And that counts on hopefully more drug makers having success in these trials. Kelly, back over to you.
1: Yeah, no, this is such a great way to start the week. I'd love it if every Monday morning we wake up and it's J&J works, AstraZeneca works, but I (laughs) fear maybe we're getting our hopes up too much. Uh, Meg, thank you very much for now. We appreciate it. Our Meg Terrell with the very latest. Let's talk more about how these two vaccine candidates now could play out into 2021. Dr. Carlos Del Rio joins me. He's executive associate dean at Emory University Medical Center. Dr. Del Rio, it's great to have you. And what do you think this means in terms of how quickly we can reach? I don't know if this is exactly the right term, but herd immunity as a result of these vaccinations uh, going out across the public.
7: Well, let me just say that this is incredibly good news. I and mean, it's good news because, you know, we heard as you as you mentioned the Pfizer vaccine a few days ago and it had 90% efficacy and that was looking like a very high bar. Well, Moderna comes and shows that it can actually meet that bar. So, both vaccines showing that 90% efficacy shows us that number one that the spike protein the target is indeed the right target and gives us hope that other vaccines will also targeting that 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 target will also be efficacious. The other thing that it does is, you know, as you've heard, there's not any cases of severe disease in those that receive the vaccine. And finally, the the side effect profile is incredibly good. We haven't seen major side effects in any of these two mRNA vaccines. So all of us are very excited. Having said that, it's going to take a while to roll them out. As you've heard, you know, this is a major uh, effort vaccinating. You know, we probably need to vaccinate close to 200 to 260 million Americans in order to get to herd immunity that's not going to be easy. But again, we're not going to do this. You know, I'll sort of paraphrase John Kennedy. We're not doing this because it's easy. We need to do it because it's hard, but it's the right thing to do. If we can do that, we will be back to a normal state in, in, by the end of next year. So for the time being, we have to use a face mask. We have to continue socially distancing, avoiding crowded places. Right. But the vaccine offers enormous hope for everyone.
1: So let me ask you about, vac- uh, about mutations in the virus itself. You know, Every now and then we get these reports you know, that it's mutating one way and it's mutating another way and we know these viruses are really smart. Is it possible that even as we've come up with these highly effective vaccines that COVID will mutate in a way uh, that then we have to kind of keep chasing it all over again?
7: Well, let's just start by saying that most viruses mutate and in particular RNA viruses tend to mutate and frequently they don't necessarily mutate because they're smart or want to make themselves stronger, but it's because of pressure from other sources. For the time being, any mutation we're seeing to the virus is not changing the spike protein in a way that is significant. And the way I explain it to people, it's almost like you know you you've changed the color of your front door. That's a mutation, but the lock remains the same. As long as the lock remains the same, you can still use the same key. In other words, the vaccine, because no matter what color the door is, it's going to continue to work. I think the critical component here, and, and, and it was said before, is how long is the immunity going to last? And that's the part we don't know. And we're going to have to follow participants in the studies for, over two, for about two years in order to really know exactly how long the, immu- the immunity to this virus lasts.
1: Yeah. And finally, doctor, you know, when you look at people's willingness to take this vaccine, it's the number one issue uh, that comes up. What, what would you say to everybody who's concerned about the quality side effects, how much we don't know about it?
7: What I would say to people is that the science that has given, given us to this point is absolutely terrific. And the way the studies have been conducted is following the most, you know, the most rigorous standards of safety and efficacy. And I think we're producing good products. And I think I would not be afraid of the vaccine. I'm more afraid of getting COVID, quite frankly. And I'm ready to sign up. And as soon as I'm able to get this vaccine, I will get it. And I'll, you know, recommend to all my family and my friends to also get the vaccine. I'm not afraid of side effects. I'm afraid of getting COVID.
1: Yeah, fair enough. Dr. Del Rio, thank you so much for your time today. Again, it is great to meet on such good news. We appreciate it.
7: Delighted to be with you. A quick
1: programming note, the head of the government's Operation Warp Speed will be joining closing bell today at 4 p.m. Eastern time. They were involved in Moderna, to some extent involved in Pfizer. Uh, But don't miss it. They'll definitely want to talk more about their success today. Coming up, the pandemic has changed real estate forever. That's according to real estate entrepreneur Don Peebles. He'll tell us what he's seeing across his $8 billion portfolio. Plus, retail rebound, the sector bouncing once again on the back of Moderna's vaccine news. But is it sustainable this time around? We will break it down coming up here on The Exchange.
8: This is The Exchange on CNBC.
7: The market doesn't joke around.
1: Welcome back to The Exchange. It's no secret the pandemic has taken a big toll on real estate. Manhattan sale prices and rents are plunging. Mall operators are declaring bankruptcy and office vacancy rates have skyrocketed as remote work becomes the new norm. For a look at how real estate has been changed forever, I'm joined by Don Peebles. He's the chair of the Peebles uh, Corporation and CEO. Don, it's good to have you. And I take your word about these changes being permanent, you know, more to heart than uh, anybody else's because it's in your interest for them not to be right like i would expect you to come out and say no kelly it's all you know we're, gonna, we're going back to the old normal it's all going to be fine what do you think we're facing uh as we head into 2021
6: well you're correct by the way the industry's typical response is kind of a head in the sand um i think that what has happened here the pandemic accelerated some of the disruption in the market especially when it comes to big box retail if you look at the shopping centers across the country and you look at big-box retail and and brick-and-mortar retail, even in New York City, you've seen massive uh, vacancies and and massive closures. That that was accelerated during the pandemic and Americans adapted even more so to online shopping. And so what we'll see coming back is a repurpose of many of those brick-and-mortar facilities into more entertainment activity, more housing, and the retail that will survive will be connected and a part of a retail experience that includes entertainment and other aspects. I think that we've also seen yeah. a reduction in rent significantly as well.
1: Yeah, it's wild to think about it. I mean, again, we're seeing this play out with some of the weaker malls in this country, but they're selling at you know rock bottom prices. I don't know what they're gonna do with this space, but like you said, it, I guess it could truly become even residential housing to some extent. Um, But what happens? I mean, are these desirable footprints? So we're talking about this at the same time we're talking about people, you know, looking for homes and not apartments, for instance. So, um, yeah, I I just I think it's going to be interesting to see. And we know how bleak the situation is in New York City. You probably saw the New York Post cover over the weekend. But, you know, what do they they did a FOIA request uh, and found that 300,000 people, I think they said, have filed change of address forms to leave Manhattan um, just over the past nine months since the pandemic. So I guess what's bad for some markets, unfortunately, has to be good for others, right?
6: Yeah, it does. And and New York was already losing population um, prior to COVID. That was the state and local income tax deduction elimination, the diminishing quality of life and the high cost of living and the high cost of doing business. And so other markets like Florida, especially South Florida, or Tennessee, Texas, even Nevada, and other business-friendly, no-income tax states or low-income tax states were attracting uh, high-income earners and their businesses to their uh, jurisdictions. And then what followed, of course, is people who work in those companies. And I think you'll continue to see that. Uh, You're right about the shopping centers. The challenge is is that um, multifamily housing is on the decline as well. And office, We don't know what's going to happen, but what we do know is that all workers are not going to go back to work and sit at their desk all day, and there will be a significant aspect of remote working in almost every professional type of work environment, and so office space consumption is definitely going to decline, and then the question is what to do with those buildings, and the more obsolete, older uh, inventory of office space will suffer the most, and they'll, again, will be looking to how to reposition those, and maybe I mean, I think one of the silver linings here is that the cost of housing is going to decline. Rental housing and multifamily homes will uh, decline, and that'll make places like New York City a bit more affordable.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Final question. I wonder what you think is going to happen in the coming months. You know, we've had this great vaccine news. Does it paradoxically make people more likely to do uh, shutdowns in the meantime? I mean, I keep asking this question, but the stock market seems to have a totally different view and say we are not heading into any uh, major economic event. We can kind of weather this the way that we've been weathering it. Um, But what do you think is going to happen just in the near term as the pandemic spreads before that vaccine is widely available?
6: Well, I think, I mean, the good news is, is that our economy has been resilient. Um, I'm surprised at how resilient it's been. And now with the vaccine insight, I think businesses are going to begin to plan for the future more so. And that future is going to become better known. Uh, so I think that we'll recover out of that. I think there'll be segments in the marketplace that obviously prosper. Um, and then there'll be my sector, the real estate industry, that will have to reinvent itself in some of these cities around the country. And I think there's going to be, a a shift in terms of where people live and how they live but i'm optimistic about the economy and i think our economy has proven that even with this pandemic remote working has actually made many businesses more efficient more cost efficient and more productive and those are good things to drive economic growth um as we see going forward and of course new york city is one of the greatest cities on the planet and it's resilient too
1: no, and I think the optimistic note you're striking is exactly the attitude that a lot of investors seem to have today. It's no matter what happens in the coming months, we're kind of looking beyond to a better future. Don, appreciate it. Always good to check in with you.
6: Great. Don Thank Peebles you, joining
1: us today from the Peebles Corp. After this quick break, we'll look at PayPal. The stock has taken off this year as consumers went cashless amid the pandemic, but the big banks are trying to play catch up and they're getting closer. We'll look at just how whether they can catch up ahead. Plus, Zoom says goodbye to its 40-minute time limit for a very special reason. We'll have all those details with the stock selling off today. And don't forget, you can watch us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back in a couple.
9: Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way?
1: Welcome back. Stocks are in rally mode today, with the Dow hitting a fresh high uh, in uh, session high, I should say. We were just shy of the 30,000 marks. We'll be on watch for that. But we're struggling somewhat to hold on to the gains. So futures after the Moderna news crossed grew up more than 500 points. The session high since the markets opened, we we're up about 460. And right now the Dow is hanging on to a, a pretty steady gain of about 350 points. It's the outperformer up 1.2%. The NASDAQ has gone positive, though. It's up 4 tenths of a percent. The S&P up three quarters of a percent. And energy financials and industrials are back in the leadership position because, of course, today is all about the reopening rotation. Energy is up more than 5% right now. Healthcare, interestingly enough, is in the red. Pfizer, of course, selling off and its partner, BioNTech. There are some attributes of the Moderna vaccine, like it doesn't need to be stored and quite as cold temperatures that could be causing that. I mentioned energy, let's take a look at the XLE energy ETF, which is on pace for its best day in a week since, yep, you guessed it, last Monday when we got the Pfizer news. Uh, Halliburton, National Oil Well, and Schlumberger are the biggest gainers in the space or right now. Uh, Energy, as I mentioned, up about 5%. Let's go to Dom Chu for our CNBC News update at this hour. Dom?
2: All right, so Kelly, here is your CNBC News update at this hour. The Trump administration has begun the formal process of selling oil and gas drilling leases in Alaska's Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, setting the stage for a sales just before inauguration day. President-elect Joe Biden opposes drilling in the region, and any sales would be subject to review by the incoming administration. In remarks streamed on the web today, Robert O'Brien, President Trump's national security advisor, says the National Security Council will have what he calls a very professional transition if Joe Biden is determined to be the winner. And, quote, obviously things look that way now. As COVID cases hit record levels in Russia, a Moscow ice rink that has hosted international speed skating competitions has been converted into a temporary hospital with more than 1,300 beds, It is currently treating around 600 patients. And Nicaragua's army is helping evacuate people from islands and coastal regions as category five hurricane Iota approaches Central America. We'll keep an eye on that. Kelly, I will send things back over to you.
1: Yeah, another terrifying storm, Dom. We'll see you in a moment, thank you, sir. Coming up here, we'll check on the retailers rallying on the back of strong vaccine news, but is it sustainable? Zoom wants you to celebrate Thanksgiving safely and casinos making a comeback that's all ahead in rapid fire. And President-elect Joe Biden expected to make a speech about the economy in the next half hour or so. We'll bring it to you live. We're back in two. welcome back. Let's catch you up on a couple stories that need to be on your radar today. It is time for Rapid Fire and here to break down the headlines are Leslie Picker, Dom Chu and Contessa Brewer. Welcome everybody. Dom, by the way, like you better not get covid or have to quarantine. How many hats are you wearing today? <laughs> we've
2: got a, we've got quite a few people either out on vacation, out on leave, taking some personal days, getting some mental health days, so I'm trying to fill in as best as I can, Kelly.
1: Good. I'll make sure I press you on all the minute details of all of these stories. (laughs) All right. First, let's get to the big, big news of the day. Of course, it's Moderna's vaccine news. It's giving the retail sector a nice boost. And if that sounds familiar, the exact same thing happened last Monday when Pfizer's vaccine news broke. The uh, S&P retail ETF shot up by over four bucks that day. Then it quickly gave up more than half of those gains. You can see the chart there. The XRT drifted lower all week until it caught a second wind today. So Dom, I will come to you first. Okay. Will it stick this time? It may not stick this time
2: around, at least for the short term, because we've run into this wall before. And as you pointed out, the reason why is because there is not a lot of clarity just yet on whether or not businesses will see an immediate effect right away from the idea that we'll get a COVID vaccine anytime in the next few weeks or months. If that were to happen, that changes the calculus. But right now, there are some questions about the distribution channels and whether or not we can actually see everybody that needs it get this vaccine in a timely manner. Until that happens, you can see a lot of these travel and leisure companies, consumer discretionary type companies are going to be under pressure. And by the way, a lot of the boosts that we saw this past summer in spending was because of government stimulus checks. We don't have that yet this time around, no question about when that's gonna happen, Kel.
1: And Leslie, we have an upgrade today from Matt Boss at JP Morgan to Coach Parent Tapestry. You know, he says, uh, you know, this stock is ready to play. He cites a lot of the same factors that Dom has been talking about. We know other analysts like the fact that profit margins for a lot of these retailers have been surprisingly strong because they're not discounting. They're kind of using this as a chance to experiment with selling less. Uh, but selling it at less deep discounts, and I wonder, you know, again, if that could become one of the one of the things that helps lift the sector through what otherwise would be a tough holiday season.
10: And one of the strategies in the future. But to your point and and to the point of a lot of analysts here, as we look at the sector, uh, you know, the question really remains, how much pent up demand is there? Obviously, people haven't been buying a a whole host of new purses during the pandemic. They have nowhere to go, nowhere to show off those new purses. Uh, But when things do start to, quote unquote, return to normal, whenever that might be. How many purses are people going to buy to really kind of uh, supplant that lost demand that may have existed throughout the course of this year? I think that is the really big question mark uh, for retailers like Tapestry.
1: Yeah, Nordstrom Contest isn't just just up 12% today. It's had a monster week. And I'm curious, I mean, is this now all of a sudden the get-out-of-jail-free card for a lot of these troubled names? I think that that cost efficiency,
0: though, is worth talking about because what you see in that JP Morgan uh, note is that they are pointing out that they have a $300 million cost efficiency program underway at Coach. They think that that's going to mean a 30% plus operating margin. On a, on a sustainable basis. That's worth talking about. That's something that investors can get behind. But remember, this was a trend that was underway before the COVID pandemic, that a lot of the fact that the vaccine is coming has been priced in at this point. Clearly there, there's just um, a, an expectation that there's pent up demand and optimism. I was gonna say in Atlanta, I went to a mall for the first time in nine months, and you know what I saw? skirts with bows on them all over for parties for Christmas parties it's like the buyers just say well whatever we're gonna throw it out there anyway and see what people are willing to buy
1: right we need a way to do a zoom that you can see like a full body or so well <laughs> we have to be careful with that sometimes. But yeah, I mean, people are just its like, come on, let me, I need an excuse to dress up and do something. Um, let's move along so I can talk about my favorite story of the day, which is Uber is bailing out of autonomous driving. It's in talks to sell its autonomous driving unit to the self-driving car startup Aurora, which is run by three veterans from Uber, Google and Tesla. Now, Uber's unit is called the Advanced Technologies Group. It's one of its costliest holdings. In the nine months through September, Uber spent nearly half a billion dollars on this and other technologies in the group. Uber's been exiting a lot of its growth at all costs initiatives this year, and the cost-cutting measures seem to be paying off. A lot's been going right for this stock, especially since the Prop 22 vote were up 48% this month. But, Leslie, I guess you could call me an autonomous driving skeptic. Um, you know, this technology, <laughs> I think today's move would suggest that it's not quite ready for prime time, right? If it were ready for prime time, it would be becoming more integrated with Uber's business, not being spun out, right?
10: I'm with you, Kelly. This is one of my favorite stories of the day too. And that's exactly why you have to question what this says about their technology. I was rereading a CNBC.com story from January that called their ATG unit the sharpest arrow in the company's arsenal to achieve profitability. So, that's been the whole story with regard to Uber. How can this company achieve profitability? The reason is that the driver itself represents about 80% of total per mile cost for ride-sharing companies that's according to Frost and Sullivan. Uh, So if you remove that cost basis from the equation by use of, of technology then you you could potentially see a more profitable business model. If they're spinning this off or looking to spin this off, what does that say about their confidence that they could actually get there? It's also a very, very competitive space. So they may be looking around and saying, I'm not sure if we can play here. Right, right. Dom, what would you add to
1: that? So
2: I would say this. They are going to get this right, and they're going to get it profitably. the, The only question is how long it's going to take. And the cost of capital in this kind of calculation for a company like Uber right now, With many more irons in the fire that need to be kind of cast on and kind of molded out there, it doesn't leave a lot of capital that you can commit to this for the runway that you need to make this profitable. I would say that Google and Waymo could be doing this really well, but they've got the balance sheet to do it. Uber just doesn't have enough capital to commit to this at this time, which is probably the reason for the exit. Just a strict capital allocation decision on their front.
1: But it, and I think Leslie hit the nail on the head as well. I mean, this is an area of the business that people have been very bullish on. So now they have other reasons. But we won't forget. We won't forget that that was a big one at the time. But let's talk about <laughs> casino stocks, guys. They are jumping in today's vaccine rally. Win, MGM, Las Vegas Sands, Boyd Gaming all in the green. And the stocks have another reason to celebrate uh, beyond this news. Revenues, casino revenues in the U.S. were over $9 billion in the third quarter. So that was back up to 81% of pre-COVID levels. A uh, gain of nearly 300% from the lows uh, the quarter before that. But then you have things like Michigan Gover- Governor Whitman closing casinos in her state. Governor Cuomo rolling back operating hours in New York, Contessa. So one step forward, two steps back, or vice versa?
0: Yeah, we're seeing expanded restrictions across the nation at casinos as we see infection rates rise. Let's focus on the on the upside. Number one, it was a great quarter for casinos. 81% of last year's revenue in the same time period is something to talk about considering that they've been operating under capacity restraints get this five states actually beat their third quarter results from last year as well so that that's notable Um, in new jersey you're looking at an 800 million dollar sports betting handle It, it is a remarkable return to sports betting considering you know look you had an, that, that's just for October. September had a very crowded calendar and you're seeing sports betting, just this crazy September. And new markets came online, Colorado, uh, Illinois, Michigan, and DC, almost $6 billion wagered there. There's a lot to like here. I especially wanna talk about gaming because Even though it's only available in a handful of states right now, it really has the potential to drive the growth in these new industries even more than sports betting does. And as states look for expanded tax revenue, they may consider legalizing mobile wagering in a way that they were unlikely to before the pandemic, Kelly.
1: Yeah, no, And you're right to emphasize that it's not, you know, sports betting is not that big a part of the business. It's just not. It might be big for DraftKings, but for the other casinos, online gaming is a much bigger deal. All right. Well, some are watching and the even, Masters and even yesterday. Draft others had their, sorry. Others sorry, had their eyes to the Draft sky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Contessa, real quickly. Well, I
0: okay. I'm just DraftKings and FanDuel are also really focused on that iGaming. We're talking over each other because there's a little bit of a delay. Sorry about that.
1: Yes, just a teensy bit, but it wouldn't be the, as bad as if we were in space. Uh, and Michael Sheets isn't there, but he is on site <laughs> for the historic launch of the SpaceX uh, mission last night. Sheets, it's always good to have you back, and we always like a chance to check in with you. What is What do you think is most significant, um, especially for a kind of an investor-minded audience here that people need to think about with the success of this launch yesterday.
11: That's right, Kelly. Uh, Last night, right behind me, SpaceX's Falcon 9 rocket launched here from NASA's Kennedy Space Center, lifting three U.S. astronauts and one Japanese astronaut into orbit. The key fact about this is that it is the first operational mission for spacex meaning that nasa has certified the company's spacecraft the crew dragon capsule to begin regular flights to and from space additionally this certification nasa really sees as being a new era of human space and transportation and and beyond that, NASA had invested about $3 billion into Crew Dragon's development. So the agency does estimate that it's going to actually save over $20 billion by having SpaceX compete to develop this rather than the prior method of contracting that uh, NASA usually used to go with. So indeed, this is a very significant day for the company, uh, Kelly.
1: And, and Michael, just as a kind of put a point on that, I mean, We've seen huge uh, valuations in some of these space-related plays this year. What would you say to investors who want exposure to the space but want to make sure that they're doing so in a legit way, that this isn't going to be just a flash in the pan?
11: Well, that's a really important question because, as you say, there aren't very many publicly traded companies that get significant exposure from the space industry. There's a few names uh, out there right now, but there's a mixture of kind of your pre-revenue companies where like uh, Virgin Galactic, where company uh, investors need to be careful about their longer development times. And then there's other companies like Maxar Technologies and Iridium Communications, which are some uh, other you know plays in this space that get a lot of their revenue from either different sectors of the u.s government as well as uh, other pieces so it, it's still a young young industry and, and much of the growth right now is coming from the the private capital funded piece of it
1: yeah and it's interesting to see those shares of virgin galactic down about seven percent today michael thanks glad you were able to get down there uh, we appreciate it our michael sheets And finally, if you have to change or flat out cancel your Thanksgiving this year, Zoom is trying to make things a little easier. They're gonna lift the 40 minute time limit on video chats on Thanksgiving day as different cities enforce strict COVID travel and gathering restrictions. Zoom's obviously been a huge winner all year. I think it's one of the best stocks in the market. But since Pfizer's, uh, Pfizer's announcement last week, the stock has plummeted 22%. Dom, it's down about 3% today. Are you going to do a Zoom Thanksgiving? Uh, you know what?
2: We are going to
1: try
2: <laughs> to go to my in-laws in a, in a kind of socially distant and responsible manner. That, that's our plan. But they're not that far away. They're in New Jersey. For those people who are, are, are actually going to take advantage of this, I mean, this is a big deal because it extends the window. What I would also say is maybe Zoom views this as an opportunity to get people into more premium, actually fee paying type elements in in Zoom's ecosystem. So rather than just relying on the free 40 minute chats that are now going to be 50 or 60 minutes, you actually pay a subscription fee because you're using it so much and upgrade to some of the higher tiers. If that's the case, then Zoom maybe has some upside incrementally in this Thanksgiving rush.
1: Leslie, I'll give you the last word.
10: Yeah, well, my family is in Kansas, my in-laws are in Texas, so travel is out of the option for us this year. Uh, so this is actually great. We'll be able to Zoom with relatives over 40 minutes over Zoom. I mean, we'll see how that goes, especially since everyone's going to just be, you know, <laughs> eating and we're, we'll try and replicate the real thing. Uh, may, may stick to 40 minutes anyway, but I think it is a nice sign of goodwill uh, and some, you know, helpful, uh, I guess, Benefit for people who are looking to replace their holiday plans this year.
1: That's very diplomatically put, but I think this is the wrong move because Zoom's given us no excuse to bail out at forty minutes. Who hasn't everybody used that? Oh, sorry, exactly. guys, like the window's coming. You know, we gotta it's been fun, but We gotta
2: go. Love your family, you All right, our window's <laughs> like, up too. Yeah. Uh...
1: <laughs> no, I do love them all. They're going to be here in person, so I'm just kidding. All right, Leslie Picker, Chu, Contessa Brewer, thank you all very, very much today. Uh, coming up, President-elect Joe Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris set to speak on the economy this afternoon. We're going to take a look at what their plan entails next. Uh, And as the Dow hits a record high and closes in on 30,000, take a look at Apple. The stock has posted the biggest gains since the Dow first crossed 20K in Jan of 2017. It's quadrupled since then. Amazing. We're back in a couple. Welcome back, President-elect Joe Biden and Vice President-elect Harris are set to speak on the economy in Wilmington, Delaware this afternoon. They just held a roundtable with a number of CEOs from GM, Microsoft, Target and Gap, among others. Let's bring in Eamon Javers and Steve Leisman for more on what we can expect to hear this afternoon. Uh, Eamon, what what is this announcement expected to entail?
12: Well, Kelly, this is all about the Biden team showing Joe Biden doing the job and sort of stepping into Uh, What's become a little bit of a power vacuum here as the president uh, has retreated from sort of visible day-to-day activities President Trump has, uh, the Biden team wants to show that even though uh, we only have one president at a time, uh, they are uh, beginning to take the reins here and focusing very much on the economy. The Biden message is uh, that the economy and the virus are very much the same thing, and we've got to deal with both uh, in order to move forward. And what Biden has been promising is that not only uh, can you move forward with the economy and dig out of the economic hole that we're in, right now but that you can build back better and actually there are some opportunities to build a stronger economy moving forward so he's going to try to highlight all of that A little bit of a delay here. We're expecting this to get underway uh, just after 2 p.m. But one of the fascinating things is the decision by these CEOs to appear with Joe Biden side by side with him uh, at a time when the president of the United States is not acknowledging the results of the election yet. The president tweeting, I concede nothing over the weekend in terms of the election results. So the president's contesting this. But these CEOs have made the calculation that it's good for them and for their businesses to appear side by side with Joe Biden here and begin the process of moving forward. Kelly.
1: And Steve, as Kayla has pointed out, there's also, I think, five labor leaders uh, as part of that gathering. So while we know what the symbolic significance of that is, what do you think it means, practically speaking, for the economy?
8: Well, it's going to be an an administration that leans more heavily towards uh, and promotes uh, unions and, and, and organized labor. I don't know how much that actually matters. There's been a trend in this country that has been sort of moving away from organized labor, Uh, And I don't know that that's necessarily contingent upon the administration in office. I think the speed of the decline, I think it has leveled off. And I think there may be some uptick out there that's possible. But, I mean, I'm not really paying that much attention to the rhetoric, uh, Kelly, because I think the story is there's going to be a lot of rhetoric from uh, Joe Biden, Kamala, Kamala Harris, about things they want to do. But the only thing that matters, the facts on the ground have to do with COVID and and solving this problem. There's a transition that Eamon is going to wonderfully cover, and that's the formal transition of power. But there's another transition that matters a lot more for the economic outlook, and that's the COVID transition, which is how bad is the virus when Biden takes over? Uh, Because what I'm hearing a lot of, uh, Kelly, is the idea that how bad the virus is will determine how well the vaccine works. And so that's really going to be key to the economic outlook.
1: And not to mention what kind of stimulus package we, we, again, not stimulus, but relief uh, package or packages we may get at the time as well. All right, we'll let you guys go. Continue to get ready for that. Eamon Javers and Steve Leisman, really appreciate it. Still ahead, shares of PayPal are higher today, but down about 7% over the past month as they lose market share in the digital payment space to an unlikely player. We'll tell you who that is. The big banks, they're taking a big bite out of the space that was supposed to disrupt them. Details on that Next. Welcome back to The Exchange. Our out-of-stock feature today is on mattresses. Since the pandemic began, it's been getting harder and harder just to find one. A type of material used in making some models is needed for medical supplies. Plus, factories are forced to shut down during the lockdown, just as demand for mattresses and other homewares has been soaring. But mattress makers themselves, well, it's a mixed bag. Take a look at shares of Casper Sleep, the stock sinking today after weak earnings. The company saying it was negatively impacted by supply chain constraints. This is now a very small cap stock, just $300 million or so, $245 million really after today's decline. And this was a stock trading around $6 and IPO'd at $14. On the other hand, Tempur-Sealy, ticker TPX, has rallied 340% from its 52-week low. It's up 3% today. And Sleep Number, a relative Relatively small cap, just under $2 billion market cap, also has more than quadrupled from its 52-week low, also up about 2% today. If you own at least those two names, well, you can sleep easy. Let's get to PayPal. Square, they've had a massive year so far. Square up more than 180% as people have gone cashless in the pandemic. But there's another player in the space, this one used by the major banks, and it has leapfrogged PayPal in the last quarter. Kate Rooney has a closer look for us. Kate?
13: Hey, Kelly, Zelle is also getting a boost during the pandemic as people ditch cash and checks. The app processed roughly double what PayPal did last quarter, with a 64% increase in transactions from a year ago. According to a recent Moffitt-Nathison survey, about 30% of Zelle clients just started using it during COVID. For some background here, Zelle is owned by seven of the big banks. They own a private company called Early Warning Services, which operates Zelle. The network is used by more than 700 banks and credit unions who pay to join, and uh, they pay a fee there to join. Um, Analysts tell me that Zelle is really about keeping customers at the banks. By offering a way to pay friends or a bill, banks are less likely to get cut out by Venmo. It's also about saving money on checks. Digital payments are cheaper, for the most part, for those banks. A few key distinctions here, though. Zelle doesn't have that cool factor of social network associated with Venmo, and you get money in your account immediately. That's a feature you have to pay for on some other apps. Finally, demographics. According to Wolf Research, the majority of Zelle users are about 35 to 65, and it caters more to silver tech. Zelle's parent company telling me this morning, though, that they're seeing some strong growth among seniors. Back to you guys.
1: Kate, thank you. I was going to say we use it all the time with my mom, but now I don't think she'd appreciate that after they explain the demo. Kate Rooney joining us uh, for the latest on Zelle. That does it for The Exchange today. Stick around for Power Lunch. DoorDash filing to go public and Airbnb is waiting in the wings. We're going to take a look at the big IPO pipeline and we are awaiting President-elect Biden's speech on the economy. Stay with us. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place.
9: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, package and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.